Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, your life improvement series starts now. Heal Squad, you are in for a treat today. Dr. Shafali is one of my favorite humans. I'm obsessed with her. She talks about everything from parenting and the baggage you bring into your parenting to reclaiming your soul, finding your authentic self. Oh, Take notes, this episode is so good, and please share it with anyone you think could benefit. I'm telling you, our goal here is really just to help everyone heal, heal along next to us, heal, grow, and just get better together. So we love you all. Please enjoy and have a great rest of your week. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. I just looked at my little nameplate here and I pulled it over. I'm your Heel Squad Fearless Leader, everyone. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to keep it right there. Um, Hello to our Heel Squad and everyone who is joining us. If you are just joining us on YouTube for the moment, I hope you will enjoy and click subscribe and turn on those notifications so you can be with us every single day. We're a lot of fun here. A lot of fun. ask the Heel Squad. (laughs) Um, And we try to get better every day in all areas. And today, holy shit, are we going to get better? Holy freaking shit. Okay. Dr. Shafali. Here she is. Radical Awakening is her book. Turn your pain into power, embrace your truth, and live free. (sighs) Guys, she talks in this book about breaking free of expectations, societal boundaries, and many other things that are holding specifically women back in our lives. And we're going to dive in and figure out how how to live free and how to live for ourselves and no one else. Um, I am so excited about this interview. This book is so jam-packed with incredible information. A lot of stuff that we talk about, a lot of themes we talk about, whether it's kind of like victimhood and childhood traumas and kind of how to find yourself and your purpose and so much more. Um, but she talks about soul erosion. Oh, wait till we get into soul erosion. Wait till we get into, um, you know, the patriarchy, the toxic patriarchy, which, you know, I kind of didn't even know what that was 
And I've been hearing a lot of like young kids being like the patriarchy. And I'm like, oh God, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you know what? You don't know. Totally. You're like, oh, kids holding on to their like little thing that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, but anyway, it turns out those kids actually might know something. (laughs) They're on to something. (laughs) No, you're right though. That's how I felt reading this. I was like, I had to take it so slow it's like every line there was something in every single line i was like wait what just happened wait yeah. what'd she say yeah it's a lot i'm excited yeah i mean man guys i'll read you just like the poem in the beginning that's just so powerful so <laughs> i'll give you the the truth so i'm reading it i'm like oh my god i have to read this to everybody this is so powerful this is so amazing and then as i'm clicking through all the guest research you know kelsey had there was like a video of her speaking at Mind Valley, an interview with Oprah. Yes, she is Oprah anointed. Uh, Freaking Oprah. God bless that woman. She was so far ahead doing all of this so many years ago. Oh, she really like paved the path. Anyhow, um, I saw a clip and it was like, watch this. And it was Alicia Keys being so moved by this that she had to do it to her Instagram followers. So here I am to you, Heel Squad. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she discards her old ways like tossed shoes in the garbage, when she shreds her lists of shoulds and obligations, and when impossible expectations are burned in an incinerator. There comes a time in the life of a woman when the approval of others, once jewels, now turn to pennies in her sock, when the hunt for another is now replaced by a hunt for herself and when parental tentacles of traditions no longer define her truth. There comes a time in the life of a woman when her desire to fit in with the crowd dissolves, when her manic compulsion to be perfect vaporizes, and when her obsession to be voted popular eviscerates. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she simply says, no more, when facade Artifice and guile leave her nauseated. Hope I said those words right. (laughs) And when righteousness, dogma, and superiority repulse her. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she no longer fears conflict, but faces it boldly like a lioness. When she guards her authenticity as fearlessly as she guards her babies. (sighs) (laughs) And when she drops the role of savior, knowing she can only save herself. Pretend I read that three times. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she no longer cowers in the shadow of her unworthiness, when she no longer plays small so others can feel big, and when she feels, and when she swaps the role of victim for the role of co-creator. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she unabashedly and boldly occupies her ultimate sovereignty, when she finally feels ready to claim her space in the world, and when she redefines compassion as unequivocal self-love. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she finally releases her childlike dependencies on others, when she dares to rewrite a new mandate of living for herself, one that says... I release unworthiness and fear. I divorce ser- servility and passivity. I divest in authenticity. <laughs> I divest in authenticity and enmeshment. I end the pretense of being someone I am not. And from now on, I declare, I will ascend into my highest power. I will embrace my greatest autonomy. 
I will celebrate my deepest worth. I will embody my fierce courage and manifest the most authentic me. The time is now. I am ready to awaken in my renaissance. That is Dr. Shafali. I read that like three times and sent it to about 14 of my friends. <laughs> when she drops the role of savior, knowing she can only save herself, when she guards her authenticity as fearlessly as she guards her babies. I liked the swapping victim for co-creator. Yeah. When she no longer fears conflict, but faces it boldly like a lioness. That's where she talks about boundaries yeah. and how terrified we are to set boundaries because yeah. it creates conflict. Yeah. We're going to learn all about that today. It is so good. Um, Let me see in here what I want to pull out for you right now outside of that. Um, She talks about kind of the role of the ego. And um, she talks about the different um, parts of the ego, like the savior, um, So conditioned are we to be afraid. We wear fear like a second skin. So true. What will people say? Who will I be without external approval? Will speaking up affect me financially? Oh, (laughs) That was my friggin' line of all life. Mm -hmm. Will my children be okay? Will I face emotional or physical harm? These are the fears... That we have if we speak up. As long as fear eclipses the language of our soul, we continue to be puppets to external forces. I sent Kevin a couple of videos. I sent him a clip. (laughs) He is like, please, I need her now. Right. Right. Because when you start to read about the Savior and all of the different kind of categories you can fall into um you start to see where it comes from like she talks about how um it's connected to our childhood to the way parents have been conditioned to parent it's not the individual parents fault necessarily it's just kind of how we're taught and and just like all the different roles that we play in this world are just taught you know we're taught we're supposed to eat three meals a day. Who said that? She's like, uh, capitalism? Uh, you know, like she ties a lot of things back to capitalism, which is really interesting. But I kind of want to know, one of the things I really want to kind of challenge her on is, is how do we allow ourselves to be free when the whole point of kind of society is to create um, like order, Right religion kind of is helping keep order, like right, keeps us being right. good people so that we go to heaven and all of that. Right. Um, now I know there's more to it. Obviously I'm a religious person too, but you know, there, there's the notion of all of these things are created to keep us in line. If we all are our free, most authentic selves, there's no boundaries to you anymore, which means there's no order. <laughs> so How do we do that, right? Like, if you as a parent don't create order in the house, don't have rules, your kids are going to run amok. So, and 
And there was an example she wrote about in there where the kids were running amok because the mom was just giving them everything because she felt guilty that the husband abandoned them. And so she was just trying to please the kids and they were going crazy because they just looked at the mom as just like a servant that was there to just please them and, you know, handle their requests. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's I was it's actually funny that you brought that up because I was going to say it's so interesting how she weaves in um, some of her own patients and some of her own like stories that she's dealt with, because there was even there was one at the beginning that made me think of what you were talking about earlier. Oh, it was it was the woman who um, was parenting her son like her dad parented her. And she yeah. was like, it's just crazy. Like it's like all this stuff are conditioned. But yeah, I mean, the it's it's hard with the control and the, like the boundaries and all this stuff, because like you said, we need you need structure. But it's like, how do you create that like healthy structure? Yeah, well, I'm going to ask her for everybody. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of questions in this interview, and there's a lot to break down. It's a very kind of like very intense kind of uh, flipping of everything on its ass, right? Like we're all taught all these things, and she's just like, whoop, let me flip it upside down. (laughs) She's like, oh, you thought that? Nope. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty fascinating. And Oprah had a really crazy moment with her in the clip that you sent me Mm -hmm. where Oprah was like, I was pushing one of my girls to go to this school. And then the girl like woke up one day and was like, I'm miserable. I don't like it. And she's like, oh my God, I projected on you. My childhood wishes to have gone to that school and I couldn't. And now I realize that I can open the door, but you have to walk through. It's up to you. You choose. Like you have, like who's to say that you're better because you're, an engineer from MIT and you're making a million dollars a year, then, you know, my plumber who is saving people from home disasters every day and maybe making a fraction of that, who's to say who's better? And why is there such importance placed on on people having to be something, period? Right? So true. Rather than just being who you are. Yeah. I mean, I just see Kevin, like Kevin was forced out of who he was and has had such conflict in his life emotionally because he wasn't allowed to be himself, right? I was actually allowed to be more of myself in a weird way, even though, um, because I really like forced, pushed, kicked, screamed and got out somehow. Like I I knew I had to play by the rules for a little while and I was like, okay, I'm biding my time. (laughs) At some point I'm getting out and I'm going to go be me. But even me, I didn't still get to be fully me because the programming still had a hold on me to the point where that was literally what I said when I got my brain tumor. I was like, I'm dying to be me. Yep. So I'm really excited about this conversation. So maybe we should just get to it. it. All right. So Dr. Shafali received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, specializing in Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She brings together the best of both worlds for her clients. She's an expert in family dynamics and personal development, teaching courses around the globe. She is a three-time New York Times bestselling author, and she's here today to help us find our radical awakening. So um, let's jump right into this. I think, you know, the book is so full and there's so much and I'm like rereading and rereading and rereading. But for the benefit of everyone who hasn't read A Radical Awakening yet, the great part is, is that you use your journey in here. 
and you are vulnerable and you share everything, which helps us, the reader, kind of feel safer and also see ourselves in you or some of the cases that you bring up in here. So can you walk us through your journey and your awakening, and then we'll get to all the meat and potatoes of this. So, uh, you know, we can have many awakenings. So this was my second, uh, second one, uh, but I believe I'll have more if I'm going to grow and evolve. So this awakening uh, is a unique one, uh, but quite general to many women. Unique for me uh, because it uh, really uh, took me to the depths of my confrontation with how I had been conditioned and how I had been playing roles. Uh, but general to most women, it was in my mid-40s, my daughter uh, blossoms into a teenager. Typical uh, at this stage is the epiphanic question that we get confronted with, who the F am I? You know, so I was quite generic. And I, again, although I had a big radical awakening when I came to America in my early 20s, this time to be devoid of the identification as mother is a whopper. And you have to go through this reintegration, reorientation. And in that, um, you know, you could burn the house down or you could keep living in it. So in my case, the house burned down. And I really realized that the roles I had been playing could no longer sustain me. And either my marriage was going to evolve or it needed to be burnt to the ground and started in a new way, different way. And because the latter happened with me, I was then confronted with even more of, wow, how does society condition us as women around love, around marriage, around sexuality, around divorce? So I went even deeper, and then I realized, hey, this has got to be a book. And that's why we have the book, A Radical Awakening, now. So your first big kind of awakening, you were studying for your PhD, you were a mom, and you got into this car accident, and that was like your first awakening. This one is interesting because it's kind of a loss of identity, right? Yes. So my, no, my first, first one was when I was 21, when I came from India to America, but we don't have to get into that, but you're right. This awakening began with, uh, the car going down, uh, almost down the ditch. Falling asleep at the wheel because you were burning the candle at both ends. Right. And that's what happens, right? We're not paying attention and life will wake us up, right? An accident, ill health, uh, a dysfunctional relationship, and these moments are a choice point. We can either go, what is my life reflecting back to me about my lack of awareness, about my slumber, mm. or we can choose to ignore it. But the next one will come. So I did not ignore it because I saw I had co-created this accident, a near-death experience, and I thought I was all spiritual and aligned and studying psychology, but obviously I was not paying attention to a big part of my life that now has come to the front. So if we can look at life as a dialogue and as a reflection of something misaligned or aligned, then we're always allowing our external life to steer us and move us and direct us. So we're in constant conversation. Sometimes that conversation is treacherous. It can take us to scary places. So mine took me to a scary place of 
I don't know who I am anymore. I got lost in motherhood and wifehood and studying for my clinical psychology PhD. And I just gave up myself. Although I thought I was holding on to something, I realized that that is not who I need to be anymore. I've, I've kind of done that. And now what, right? So then we're confronted with the, okay, then who am I without these roles? And that now what is really scary. So I learned to change that to what is in my now, instead of saying now what, which creates anxiety, future-based mm. thinking. I shifted it to what is in my now and am I daring to confront the now? And, and this is the thing with evolution, the now will keep changing. It's transient. Life is not absolute. It's shifting every <laughs> bloody moment. So can we be in that dialogue with it? And it's so scary, but if we master the art of evolving with our age and moment by moment, the new chapters come and new iterations of self blossom. And so I dared to ask, what is in my now? What is in my now? And the now was really scary. It was saying, let go of those roles. They can't serve you anymore. You have grown greater than them or more than them and you need to evolve with new identities or new ways of being but it's really hard to let go the old you know we had children there or had romances there and birthday parties there and wedding cakes there and how to let go but this is the challenge do we want to grow or do we want to stay attached to the old but that's where I'm confused so I'm confused in two places. One, you felt like you were aligned. And I understand how we can kind of compartmentalize too as women pretty easily. So you were aligned with what you were kind of going after, but you were forgetting that you weren't taking care of yourself. I can kind of see that, right? But then when you say you have to shed these roles, you were still going to be a mom. So how do you shed the role of mom? And then also how do you shed the role of psychologist when that's your profession? Like, how do you, what did you do differently after that? Or how did you kind of rename or reorganize all of that? Right. So I'm going to just give a generic answer. So it applies to everybody. And so they can see themselves in it while I talk about myself. So in childhood, we're given this invisible prescription list, right? It's in the crib. Okay, under the mobile and the music, it's right there. And the prescription list is your list of expectations from your family, of origin, your culture. And you beat, you march to the beat of that drum thinking you have free will, you know. So the religion, the God, the education, how to be skinny, how to be pretty, how to be nice, all of it is in the atmosphere, in the nursery. By the age of seven, we toast, you know, we know what is expected of us. So similarly, most of us women go through that checklist and, you know, getting married and then becoming a mother is kind of some automatic robotic thing we feel is our identity. On one part, it's biological to want to caretake, but on another part, it becomes your bloody identity. That is the problem. Your sense of worth so I did that diligently, you know, successful PhD, uh, clinical psychologist, successful mother, successful wife. But as I began to spiritually grow and evolve in my own authenticity, 
I realize my worth is not coming from there. That is a false sense of worth that is actually tethering me to unworthiness. My worth does not depend on my child. And I happen to raise a child who refused to comply with my expectations and fantasies. So I was like, what's the point of this? You know, this bloody <laughs> child is not even listening to me. I'm getting nothing out of this deal. So, you know, I'm teasing, but uh, that's what I teach, that you don't, uh, you don't make your child a mini you. So I did that very successfully. So I was like, what's the point of this? And then what's the point of that? And then when you begin to ask these deeper questions, you realize you have affixed to these roles as your identity. So what changed for me is not that I'm still not a mom or whether I'm a wife or not is irrelevant at the end of the day. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with way go to the way T H E O U A I.com and enter the promo code heel squad for 15% off any product. That's the way T H E O U A I.com promo code heel squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. It's how much does this define my worth? And for us women, how we look, how we wife, 
or partner, how we mother is the be all of our identity. And this is where we get enmeshed and we suffer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, are, you, are you resonating with some of this? I'm I'm resonating with everything you've written, everything you say, uh, because I I see, like I've had my own awakening and my own kind of rock bottom, and I also wanted to ask, do you feel like there's a way for people to get this without their rock bottom? Uh. <laughs> it's my like eternal question. Like, can I share the epiphanies I've had with others, or do they just have to? fall that deep to really get there? I think amazing I know the answer, question. but... Amazing question. I'm a psychologist, you know, my whole life is waiting for people to get it. So the answer is yes and no, right? So sometimes if people are ready to receive, it happens to be aligned with where they are. But sadly, our greatest default is to only grow through pain. Mm. Oh, we have to be pinched hard enough, shred, you know, strongly enough, burnt to the cinders before we wake up. Why? Because we are attached to those identities. You know, the reason we don't evolve out of uh, clarity or out of joy or, or moving happiness is because we get so stuck in that identity. I need to be a mother or I am a mother. I need to be the perfect, you know, skinny girl or I need to look this way or so those identities keep us so seduced, thinking that that is who we are, um, that only real pain, you know, getting fired from the job, can't have the child. The child's a bloody, you know, handful. <laughs> makes you wonder why you had the child. The mother dies. Then, you know, we're like, hmm, am I really that? And then you get in touch with the gnawing emptiness and that freaks people out because now they have to confront that they have not filled their soul and essence till now. But this is where the exciting journey begins because now you begin to discover who it is you really are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've definitely gotten to the point where I understand when pain is present, that something good is on the other side. Like the pot of gold is over there. Like there's, there is a rainbow coming, but it, so I'm, I'm, I'm always still in the pain, but I know there's a purpose to it. And there's like another growth level to go to. Um, and, and I think that I resonate so highly with everything that you've said, because having gone through it, I looked around for a really long time and was very lonely because I felt like I knew stuff that nobody else understood. And it took me a while, like through doing this show to have people on that, understood what I was feeling and saying and kind of creating a new squad of, of friends and new people who knew that all of this was stupid and didn't fucking matter. Cause that's what I kept thinking after brain surgery. I'm like, Oh my God, Holy shit. It's all a lie. This is all nonsense. And, and Oh my God, I was, I, I wore workaholic as like a badge of honor. I thought, you know, I realized that I, I was going so against my own nature um, because I got caught up in this like cycle here in, in this business where I was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Oh, if they can work a thousand hours, I can work a thousand hours. Okay, I can do it. I can do it. Because I was so competitive in that way of like anything someone else can do, I know I can do too. And I nearly killed myself. And then I realized, wait, but 
for those people, and I remember distinctly in my hospital bed thinking, that's their identity. This is what means something to them. I don't give two shits about any of this. I'm in it because it's fun and it's exciting. And I, and it was like a goal. I wanted to know that I could do something impossible. I want, you know, my parents were janitors from, you know, immigrants who came to this country and they were janitors. Like I have only one place to look and that's up. So let's think of the craziest, most amazing things I can do, but they don't define me in my heart or my soul. Like, so I've, I've had my own awakenings and my mom just died. I'm having even more and I'm going through more and I'm going deeper into kind of the childhood traumas and how they've affected me and the patterns that they've created and the beliefs and all of that. So we talk about this every single day here. I mean, that's kind of, um, like a, a through line here. So I want to know how do we find our authentic selves when from you said birth to seven, it's a wrap. Like that's when we've been shut out of who we are truly because our parents, unfortunately, God bless them. We love them are also conditioned and trained to think that this is how you parent. Right. And there was an example in the book about one of your clients who, whose kids, she felt guilty. The husband left her and abandoned the family, and she was doing so much to help the kids. And the kids just looked at her like a servant who was there to just fulfill every wish, and they were running amok. And so one of the other things that I was thinking about, and now I'm going into a whole other section, forgive me, um, was how do we get to be our authentic selves if our authentic selves is really going to create no fucking boundaries, there's going to be no order. Like that's why we have all the things we have in place is so that we can have order, right? Religion in a sense, in some ways was also a way to have order. Um, so if there's no order, what will happen? Yes, that is the fear. Exactly. So several questions there. So (laughs) authentic self is waiting right beneath the bullshit that culture places on us. Okay. It's right there. It's, it's waiting to be listened to. So it's never something we have to go to the Himalayas to find. What we have to do is unravel the, the BS we've believed to be who it is we are. And once we go through this process, we can quickly go, that's false, that's coming out of fear, that's coming out of scarcity. I went through an exercise in my life in my mid-40s where I said, let me take this next week to examine how much truth I speak and how much role I speak. Am I coming from lack or authenticity? Literally, I couldn't even talk much because everything that was going to come out was from the role, was from the lack. Can you explain that specifically so we can understand the the difference in the voices? Sure. So I began to check in. I gave myself the goal that if it's not coming from something that feels real to me, and I don't even know what that really is right now because I'm discovering my voice again, I will not speak. So if it's coming from fear, 
like what will happen if I don't say this this way, then I will not speak because it's coming from something I've not yet understood. It's coming from fear. And I tried it with my then husband and child. <laughs> I literally was not able to speak because everything was out of, let me just say it because she'll be happy or let me just say it because then he'll be less nervous and let me just take care of them and let me just do this. And so I realized how much I had based my uh, sense of being and uh, worth on this robotic caregiving, taking care of everybody else's feelings, pleasing everybody so that I could be the good one. Because I had, be and most women are conditioned this way. We are more married now in our mid forties and later to the idea and image of the good one, then we really are good. You know, and we will forsake authenticity for that image of the good one. The divorce I did was not against any human being. Poor ex-husband of mine hardly was to him. I divorced my own deep-rooted marriage to this idea of the good one. And I was so caught up in being seen in this way that that's the divorce I had to create. Now... When I created the divorce, it so happened that the whole marriage tumbled because my husband, my then husband was like, no, I like that one. I don't like this one so yeah. much. And I'm like, okay, now there's another choice. Okay, because a part of me was like, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. That was just like some crazy moment. I'll go back to that. There's a price to pay because now we've uh, trained everybody yes. to like and adore that role. They love it. Yes. So, so now what, right? And then you're, you're faced with another choice point and another choice point. So asking that question, am I as authentic as I can be or am I coming from lack and fear and at least begin to differentiate between the two voices is so powerful to see your inner tape. And then your next question is, well, then without all the, all the rules, then what, right? So these rules are created by institutions, education, religion, parenting. These are institutions that without our realizing has created order, but how has it created order? Created order by making us sheep ruled by fear. You know, if you're not good, you're not going to heaven. Oh, God can see everything that's going on in your little nasty head. And you're always living in fear, you know, oh shit. So same with education, right? If you are not going to get an A grade, you know, the finger is freaking pointing at you from child from childhood, right? And the kid is like, why the hell am I here? And the parents are like, no, 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 don't worry. If you just follow these 1,200 things every day, you will be happy like me. And the kid is like, you don't look happy, mom. And you're like, shit. Don't be a disobedient kid. How dare you, right? The kids are like, what the hell is this life? Everything is like fear-based. So yes, there is order, but order coming from what? From control and fear. So the question is, what will we be without that? Well, of course, you know, then we get more afraid because it seems like the alternative to losing this is utter mayhem, anarchy, chaos, drugs, and orgies, right? That's the vision. <laughs> It's true, though. <laughs> right. If I was, if I didn't take the marital vow, I'd be sleeping with my best friend's husband. Oh, really? Oops. Right. So, but this is it, my love. It's not that we go from this to this. What's in between is a rising of consciousness. We're forgetting that the process involves conscious awareness. Now, in conscious awareness, you begin to align 
with others like you are and you begin to align with powerful uh, ideas and uh, thoughts of togetherness, oneness, interdependence. You don't want to go have drugs and an orgy necessarily. You want to go for a walk and smell the, the ocean. You know, you are in a different state of being. So people forget that, and that's how they control us more. Well, if you don't do this, then you'll be going to hell, right? No, if you don't do this, there's a whole other way to be. But we don't get to explore that because there's more fear, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, one of the things that, um, you know, when I was having my my awakening and I was just kind of like, I need to just be for a little while, I'm not... I'm I'm not ready. I have so many things to heal from. And I, this at the same time my mom was really sick with brain cancer and we both had had these tumors and I was I was trying to kind of redefine success and redefine what I wanted to be and how I wanted this all to look and my husband kept saying to me he goes Maria you can't forget that the reason you're able to take care of your mom the way you are is because you did do all these things and you did work hard and you do have access that other people don't necessarily. And so then that made me fear losing my connection to the old world because I was like, oh, well, if I if I'm not in the old world, then I won't be able to take care of the people that I love. And that has been something that slowly has been sneaking up again. And I'm like, oh, but this is exactly what I didn't want. And I'm, I'm, I'm sneakily going kind of slowly back, which I worked really hard for four years to like hold my like position. This is the new me. Um, and, and so it's kind of interesting how fear can just, just dictate so much. Um, right. and that voice is the voice of the ego that I call the ego that is the pattern voice, the robotic voice that goes, oh, what are you what are you doing here? You know, maybe you should go back. It's better if you go back. And it's a little, you know, hiss of the snake that if we're not aware, will totally rope us back because the goal of that ego is to maintain stability within your psychic system. The ego's job is to keep it status quo because the ego is like, this girl doesn't know how to be a woman yet. Let me handle things as I've always done. But as we evolve, we can talk back to that voice and go, ah, you're really smart. You're really making me afraid and making me go backwards. You can go rest and I'm going to now take charge. And so for, in your case, some your new voice would say something like, you can still have access to all those people. You just do it through building different relationships. You don't have to go back and work your ass off to the grind again where you get another tumor. You see, the ego is trying to take you back to mm -hmm. that old pattern of scarcity. Yeah. So you, you can tell the ego, thank you so much. I, I know you just want me to be the same, but I know I can still have that access. I'll just do it through relationship building, not through work and, and strife and grind and grime. I'll do it through love and connection, right? There's another way to do it, but the ego is going to pull us back to that old robotic pattern. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I want you to talk about, um, soul erosion. I loved this. Oh, Kelsey's smiling you. so big in the booth I'm right like, now. She's like, yes. <laughs> Well, soul, just the word for, you know, that 
which is beyond what we see, right? The form, beyond our name, beyond our looks, beyond our wealth, our cars, our zip code. That part of us that is connected to something bigger than what we can see. And that part, because this world that we live in, this material world of form that we live in is so obsessed with the tangibles of life. How much money do you have? How many children do you have? How many cars do you have? That we erode away piece by piece from that deep connection to this, this, this that lies beyond the eyes and the senses. Children come into the world very connected, right? People say connected to source, but what that means for me is that they're not yet identified with the world of form. You could literally take a six month old from a Muslim house to the Jewish house, the kid won't protest. They're like, okay, because they don't understand what these things mean. They're not identified. Now, some will say, well, it's because their cerebral cortex is not even developed like us. Well, what's the point of the cerebral cortex, <laughs> ours, our adult cerebral cortex, when we live in violence and wage wars in the name of God and we're racist as can be and we're tethered to our jobs, right? We're not better for having this brain if and unless the brain can take us to wisdom, to consciousness, to understanding, wow, this brain has these traps of this material world. So our soul gets eroded over time to the point where we're blindly abducted from any sense of who it is we are beyond how we've been defined, how our parents see us, the opinions others have of us. And I meet women in my practice who literally in their 50s, they have huge bank accounts, they have successful businesses or marriages or partners. And they're like, I don't know who the F I am anymore. I'm defined by these others in my life. It's a plague. And it's not something we should judge ourselves by. It's just a fact that we grew up in this highly conditioned world. So to, to reclaim the soul, to have a renaissance of the soul, means now to go backwards. So we have to unlayer all these layers. So we have to unfold, unlayer, untether all that's been put on us. And when we begin to let go, you know, I have this favorite exercise that I do in my own life, which is a rebellious voice in me that says to every thought that seems seductive, that says, who said, you know, I have a video on Instagram, it gets so many views every time I post it. It's just saying, who said? right? Just to step back and to just allow a moment of pause to ask, but who said? Who said? And you will see that most of your thoughts come from your mom and your dad who were not so conscious themselves. And you're like, damn, do I have an original thought? You'll see you don't because we are so deeply, you know, maneuvered, manipulated, exploited at a young age. So now by saying, by asking who said, and willing to shake that, let it go. Can I let this belief go? Can I let that belief go? You begin to free yourself and return to the reclamation of who you once were and your authentic self. Is it best to do that with a therapist? It's advisable to yeah. do it with, with <laughs> it sounds like it. Can, who can hold your hand. Yeah. You know, what we're talking about here, Maria, Yes, the jolt of awakening happens through the pain portal. That 
you can't have a therapist by your side. You just don't know when you're going to have the brain tumor or the accident. Okay, but we need to know when that epiphany happens that, oh my goodness, my life has shattered. Enlist the help of, a, you know, in the old days, it was a trusted elder. Now we have to pay some money. But find a course. You know, I have free stuff online. People have free stuff. Find that trusted person, that voice to guide you through this darkness because I know I've guided thousands through the dark tunnel and there are steps that you go through you know you go from unconscious unconsciousness where you don't even know you're unconscious to now conscious unconsciousness which is torture torture because you're like eating the cookies going I, I shouldn't be eating these cookies but you can't stop when the alcoholic realizes they're an alcoholic is torture you know now you're like holy cow I've been living a total wreckage of a life but you have to go through conscious unconsciousness, which is the transition phase between the old and the new, before you become consciously more conscious, right? So there's stages, and people like me who do this work can usher you through that tunnel. So don't feel ashamed to hire someone, spend your life's earning. It's the greatest journey of your life. It will take you to new thresholds of who you can be. Agreed as I continue to do the work every week um, and continue to find things every, every time. You talk about how the kind of societal norms and the constructs and the institutions, a lot of it was based on capitalism. And I thought this was really fascinating when you start breaking it down. I was watching your Mind Valley speech and, um, and I was like, whoa, I, I guess I never thought about it like that. Right. And you're like, who said we have to eat three times a day? Who said, who said, who said exactly what you just said? Who said, there we go. Who said that you got to match your clothes? Like who said that you're supposed to get married and have kids? Holy shit. I'm going to say who said all the time now. I love that. Um, But, but I want you to kind of educate everyone on that part of it that maybe we're not really realizing, because I think now we understand that some of our childhood programming runs our ride. We understand that perfectionism runs our ride. We understand some of that stuff. But the capitalism end of it is kind of interesting. <laughs> okay. I have lots of other shockers too, but we can go with capitalism. But it's connected to religion and I could offend people, but just talking straight talk. The reason why capitalism and religion work so well together, because religion is thou shall suffer. And capitalism is like, oh, are you suffering? Yeah. I have the drug. You understand? It's all like kind of woven. And education makes you feel like shit. And uh, you're like a loser by the age of, you know, eight. So, you know, you're just learning to consume. Now, then comes the parent, okay? The parent who is like beaten by life has this idea that their child will be their badge of honor. Never mind, I've been a loser and I'm not really happy, but... My child, I will make successful and happy. So we start on the parenting journey with so much zeal and ego, which is what most of my work has been about, popping the parental ego, which has been a lot of fun. Um, so I'm sure, especially way, in the millennial and Gen X world. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my no, but gen, my generation. Oh, my God. We are like we thought we knew how to parent, you know, and then I come and I poke all the bubbles and parents can't stand it. However, so now the parent is even more vulnerable than that 18 year old because the parent has a renewed sense of their ego. You know, they've been beaten down, but they're like, no, no, no. I will give my child everything that I didn't have because they have this delusion that, you know, 
my parents didn't do it well. You know, I only had 65 things to do a day. I'm going to give my kid 165 things to do a day. And the capitalist culture is like these bloody parents, they are the best captive audience. We'll just keep preying on them that if they did X, their kid would be a superstar. If they just did this, their kid is going to be happy. You know, that's why, I mean, you should see these parents these days. I mean, I was kind of like them, but now every generation is more on steroids because capitalism preys on the parents. And I call it the parenting industrial complex. Like we have the prison industrial complex. uh, We have the parenting industrial complex and slaves are being made in both places by capitalism. So the more you feel like you can create the superstar child, which is every parent's ego, the more capitalism says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, so where, you know, we used to send our kids to the the grassy courts, the basketball court around the corner and just put a hoop. Now we have to send them, you know, to the travel team that goes to France every year. And, you know, they have to speak three languages and stand on their head, you know, and and the SATs used to be for college. uh, But now you don't only just have the SATs, you have the APs. And, you know, it's fascinating, okay, to watch how the standards keep compounding. And then COVID came and my kid, my kid, my daughter was supposed to do the SATs when COVID hit. And my entire parenting life, I was resisting the SATs, okay? Because my whole life is like anti-establishment. But I was at the end of the day, you know, also going to succumb. I was like, what to do? I want her to go to college because I want to be free. So she has to do these damn SATs. And I was dreading because it's inauthentic to me to tell my daughter, you have to do the SAT. So I was practicing the frown and the wagging of the finger. And then luck had it with my, in my year, my year. I almost began believing in the angels. My year, COVID hit and there was no SAT now. And the world went up. round. Isn't that crazy? And now leaving my ego aside, I'm acting like it happened for me. No, but here's the real. But you situation. manifested it. I'll tell you, because I, I was the same way. I was like, I'm never having a wedding. It's never about the, the couple. People make it a nightmare or whatever. I ended up manifesting an amazing wedding where I didn't have to do anything. And it was literally just about us. So I think you yeah, manifested yeah. So this did, for sure. Yeah, we think, we, yeah, we, think we, we did something in Wuhan. Yes. But leaving our ego aside, what I saw was the fallacies that capitalism is based on. So now suddenly we're being courted by universities saying, we want to see the holistic child. We don't care about the SATs. And I'm like, you see, suddenly they don't care about the SATs because they they couldn't care about the SATs. So many universities dropped the SAT as a standard, right? And the, the college board lost a lot of money. So, you know, and I began to see, oh, now they don't need the SATs because they can't have the SATs. But before that, it was the Holy Grail. So many of these things we take as the Holy Grail, but we little realize that we've been seduced by capitalism or by religion or by education, whose main goal is to keep us feeling unworthy so that we consume the religious doctrine for salvation, or we consume the drug of choice or the Louboutins for salvation, because without feeling miserable, 
we wouldn't consume any of this. Imagine if we lived with an abundance mindset from youth and that divinity was already within us. We didn't have to go to a place to find it or we didn't have to have drugs to feel better about ourselves. The economy would collapse. Religion would no longer be needed as much. So we keep the, they keep the ball rolling by making sure we feel miserable. So unworthiness then is the predication of the economic system. Mm, and not being good enough, yeah. Which I guess, I guess is the same kind of thing. Sure. Right. You know, women are being told, oh, you know, look at your earlobe. You know, when I, until I went to my dent, my cosmetic dentist, I didn't even know I had crooked teeth. I'm like, I need to stop coming here. I just came for like whitening and now you're telling me I have crooked teeth. Now I have a complex. Now I want to straighten my teeth. See how you got me to spend $6,000. Yeah. So it's a never ending web, right? Now women want to like, they're looking at the skin behind the freaking earlobe, you know, that'll be injected soon. And we'll be taking pictures and comparing. There's no end to this. There's no end. Look at us. Well, there's no end. So until we wake up ourselves in our own private lives to say no more, and we begin to choose with discernment and begin to play to our own tune, we will be caught up in this tornado and it's going to just spit you out at death. So how do we do that, right? Like I wrote, how do we do that when we have, I mean, part of it is like, how do we set those boundaries when we've conditioned everyone around us to expect a certain us? But then how do we go live our truth in ourselves without just being lonely? Again, now you've gone to some big extreme. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, how do we live our truth without being alone? All the time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. because everybody is in the rat race. That's what I kept seeing after my surgery. Everyone else is in the rat race. Everybody else is under all the falsehoods and the illusions, and they're all trapped in this vortex. And I was like out here, I'm like, how, what, what the fuck was I in? And what? how come nobody else sees this? And yes. please tell me there are other people that see this. Well, now I... I, I, I have people that see it. You see it. There are certain people that see it. Um, but in your everyday world, there aren't a lot of people that yeah, see it. Right, right. hundred percent. So it's, it's the matrix and you realize you left the matrix and you're like, now what? You're floating in space and you haven't met your other tribe yet. You know, it's what happened in Plato's allegory of the cave, one of them left and said, hey, the sun is causing those shadows, come see. And nobody left the cave. So there will always be one. And then one, I call it one is a million. So I, when I left the matrix at 21, um, I was like a death to myself because not only do you realize your life has been a lie, you then realize you have nobody now to hang out with. Right? Yeah. So as I began growing older, I was like, God damn it, I'm going to create my own community. So I began to create my own community and began to teach what I teach and show other people. Do you see the matrix? Do you see? Do you see? Come, come join me. And I brought one person over and another person over. And now you you have people. See, you are there and you have your friends. There, there are enough. But those who are out of the matrix are not easily found because we're hiding, you know, we're like, we don't want to be part of that. So through podcasts like yours, through raising your vibration, writing about it, you have to spread your tentacles a bit, but people will connect. You and I have connected. You know, when I write my book, people come to me and the ones who come are those who also have been leaving the matrix slowly, but surely. Yeah, I know. It's a question that I get asked by people a lot because... 
a lot of people come to this show who are in the midst of their awakening or want their awakening and they always feel really lonely. I'm like, I get it. I was there (laughs) and you have to find your people. Um, but I think, um, I think it's really hard to, to first identify a lot of it, right? Which I think the book does such a great job of helping you kind of get to that place where maybe you are noticing some of the stuff and now you're like, oh yeah, that's me. Oh, savior. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. That's, oh, that's me. Especially like the lists you give, like, let's go to savior for a second. Um, here I marked up this book so much. There's so much writing in here and so many pages. Here we go. Um, Those of us who are saviors deflect the loss of our authentic self by focusing on others. My husband really connected with that. I've sent him so many things. He's like, I can't wait to read this book. Um, Once we see the true needs of the neck, once we see the true needs of the neglected child are, uh, we can go on a quest to meet them. I loved that. I really loved that. Um, Because you start to see that the neglect is what creates the new self, right? Yeah. So the neglect creates the pattern, the, the, the need to save. But now when you begin to transform, you don't go and save. You go inward and go, why am I feeling like I want to save? Mm-hmm. Ah, there's something inside me that's feeling really small right now, really scared. Now you tune into that and take care of this instead of playing the robotic role to go and act out from this neglected place. Yeah. I think my husband and I, I have awareness. both been a neglected because we feel like we have superhero capes and it's like, you have an emergency. Yeah. Here we come. We're going to yeah. go fix it and save it right now. <laughs> right, so let me ask you, what does that emergency create within you? When you feel someone's in an emergency, it's bringing up an old wound, right? Yeah. I think, well, I think the quickest thing is like you feel needed and you know you can, right? So right. for me, I have this thing where if I know I can, why wouldn't I? Like, why wouldn't I help someone when I know I can? Right. Well, we just because we can doesn't mean we must, right? Mm-hmm. So many reasons to not help. One, it could drain our energy. Two, it could not, they didn't ask for help. <laughs> you know, saviors go. And then later on, I say, but did anyone ask for help? And yeah. they're like, oh, no. Yeah, you gave that um, example of like seeing the person at the bus station. And I go, that's, that's me. I see the poor person at the bus stop and I want to help them. This, this guy the other day, he had his head in his hands and he was, you know, just living on the streets and my heart like bled so badly for him, but I'm too scared to go up to him, obviously alone. If I was with Kevin, maybe I would have like stopped and, you know, but, but yeah. And you're like that. Oh man. Right. So as stopping and going, but first recognizing you have a pattern called the savior, then recognizing it's rabid obsession and hold over you. Like uh, me, 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 right. The savior is always going me, me. So realizing you're always wanting to put your hand up and stopping that instinct to becoming conscious. Why, why, why is it my business? Did they ask for help? Now this may sound cold and like, you're not compassionate anymore. So saviors will be like, I don't want to lose my compassion. And all I'm saying is you don't have to lose your compassion, but please lose your over indulging and you're over rescuing because half the time you're not needed. You're freaking messing up the situation. You're draining yourself and you're crippling the other. And Talk really about what's that. going on is you're not comfortable with yourself. Yeah. You're not comfortable with the situation being messy because from a young age, the little girl or little boy in you learned, oh my God, terror, this is chaos. Let me jump in and fix it. 
you know, competent people are saviors. So like you said, because they can, they do. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was a big line I said after surgery. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Um, I loved this whole thing where you said, my giving allowed me to feel significant and useful, valid and worthy. My giving allowed me to not confront my own pain about the other's pain. My giving allowed me to ward off the discomfort of tolerating the unknown. My giving allowed me to feel superior and competent, powerful and in control. My giving attracted broken people to me, allowing me to continue the cycle. My giving allowed others to depend on me, which gave me a sense of power. My giving allowed me not to learn to be a receiver. And my giving meant I could distract myself from my own self-care. The giving is so self-agendified, right? And that's what I teach givers. Because givers are beautiful people, no doubt, okay? But the givers are also self-agendified. The agenda is like, say thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's about our own significance. Yes. We want to be needed. We want to be appreciated. We want to be loved. We want all of those things. But we're also trained that those are the good things. Yeah, that's why givers are like, it's hard to extricate from it because you're like, it's such a virtue, right? We've been told it's a good thing. So it's a little confusing, but you have to like get clear about your giving being full of agenda and how to give without the agenda and how to give without really uh, needing to give. You know, you give when it's an overflow. You give when it's natural. You don't give because it's your instinct. Yeah. And you don't give when you're empty. Yes. That's for sure. Uh, So this is a really cool one. Since we good women find it intolerable to be the bitch, we continue to be what our ego has trained us to be. Compassionate, kind, understanding bigger, uh, understanding bigger than the other who just dumped their stuff on us. So none of us want to be the bitch. We're, we're trained to be the anti-diva, the anti-bitch, the anti-all of these things. We're supposed to be kind of the, the martyr and the one who'll like go down with the ship to help everybody else. And I know there are so many women who listen to this show who are literally ill, falling apart, and are going to do it until the very, very bitter end because that's what they're trained they're supposed to do. How do you peel us back? How do we get okay with being the bitch? Because maybe that's where we're supposed to be. I don't know. <laughs> it's well, better it, than the other way. Right. It's, it's not so much that, you know, we should go be the bitch. It's that we have to become comfortable that sometimes people are not going to adulate and kiss our toes, and that's okay. That's what we have to get comfortable with, that we people are not going to like us. People are going to be upset, and we have to tolerate that and learn to be okay being called the bitch sometimes, you know? So it's not that you have to go be the bitch, but that you have to learn to be okay being seen as the bitch. That's really hard. It's easier to be the bitch. But to be seen as the bitch? Oh, no, because that goes against, you know, we're supposed to be this this Mother Teresa, right? Like yes. you said. So practice, you know, tell your friends, call you bitch all day and like <laughs> and practice going, okay, I'm okay being called a bitch. But it's something you're desensitizing really ourselves. I like that. <laughs> and I think people in your profession and mine, you know, I, I get so much negativity as well as positivity that I've learned to become neutral now 
through training uh, and not feeling the need to defend myself and actually seeing it as something of a badge of honor that not everyone likes you. Because if everyone likes you, then you really don't have much of an opinion and you're just appeasing everybody. How can everybody like you? I mean, it's impossible. Hmm. Um, so learning to not like everyone, and that's okay, as long as you don't act out it, act out on it in hatred, and okay to not be liked by everyone, as long as no one is abusing you, you know? How did you get there, though? It was not easy. This is this this was my my tough one because I love to be the good one. You know? Yeah. Well, we're to... trained as young girls. Like yeah. my dad always said, Maria, you got to be a good girl. And everybody, you know, like my dad, mm-hmm. they conditioned me to have to be perfect for everybody. Yeah. And it really mattered what everyone thought about me. Yes. So then what do you yes. do? Yes. You go build this persona and you go build this whole version of you that is going to fit all of that. And yeah. God forbid you have an opinion. I mean, luckily, like I was a little rebellious in a in a good way where I kind of fought and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it your way. And then when I'm 18, I'm out of here. I'm going to go do it my way. So I, I was, I, I knew I was in my cell and I was just waiting for my time for my release. Mm-hmm. But it still defines me to this day. I still worry about what people think of me and what they're going to say about me. And mm-hmm. you end up living in a f- kind of fearful cage. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the only real way was to call the bullshit on my goodness. You know, when I began to see that I'm full of shit, that I'm doing it to actually take something back. And I saw the agenda. I want the compliment. I want to be the lovely martyr, savior, the pure one. When I began to see the bullshit and really have to be honest with yourself and go, okay, that you didn't have to make 16 desserts. You were doing it because you were showing off, weren't you? There was no need. And I was like, yeah, I was showing up. You know, so when you begin having those conversations, then you realize, wow, you're just a bloody needy person, you giver, right? And then you see the giver is actually so needy, begging for affection and affirmation. Then I got kind of nauseated by it. And I was like, come on, this I cannot live my life such a fake. And, you know, I cannot be wanting so much affirmation all the time. So then as I began to see that shadow side of the giver, then I would dare to become more authentic. Then you dare to become more authentic. Then everyone is like, uh, where's the 16th dessert, Shifali? And you're like, uh, you know, I was tired. Then you begin to be authentic. And I remember when I first began saying I'm tired or no, or not now, I literally had a panic attack, you know, like hives. Like, how can I be tired? How can I say no? But you have to, uh, but then the, the, the prize is your authentic voice. So I say it's you have to pay a price for everything. So the price for the prize of authenticity is making people unhappy. And yes, you'll be called a bitch sometimes. Wow. I had that moment recently with Kevin where I started realizing I'm like, ooh, there are some lies in here. And it was really a hard conversation. And it was it was hard just because I had to admit things where I was like, I'm really starting to see things like inside of me very clearly and I don't like them. Yes. Yes. I went on a two year hiatus from being a host for dinner parties. I mean, all my friends were like, okay, this cannot continue. Whatever you're going through, can you please stop? Because this is not fair. Where are our parties? I literally stopped the old me for two years. I took a moratorium. I called it a moratorium. I took a moratorium for my marriage. I just didn't take a moratorium for motherhood, but I did it less and less. And my daughter protested. She's like, where's my mom? Hello. 
she's supposed to come clean my my ass where is she yeah and I was like what have I created people's expectations yeah and I I had to rid them and myself of that loop and it I went on a moratorium I had to literally detox from my own old life unless I escaped like stopped and pressed halt and went on an island within myself it because they keep asking you know so then you you have to just take a time out sabbatical mm-hmm. till the new self has muscle yes build, you know yes I did that with email well first of all I did it with voicemails years ago I think it was like 12 years ago I go don't leave me a voicemail I'm not listening because there were too many people too many ways people could get to me I was like you can email me you can text me why am I going to now listen to a voicemail have to look for a piece of paper be stressed to write down the message or the number whatever then I did it with email oh my god the reaction I got to my email that said I'm really gonna take a break from the demands of everyone else so that I can actually get something done in the day that is going to make me happy. And so here are like 10 people you can reach out to for any of your requests, but I'm not checking these. The response was so intense. And I knew I could do it because we were both dealing with brain tumors. So I had like kind of a good excuse, but people still were really upset by them. And then I've had to finesse them a little bit since where I'm like, okay, maybe it's not as you know aggressive, but uh, people don't like when you set boundaries. Yeah, but but part of that is that we are all so codependent, you know, enmeshed like children to mommies. So we make mothers out of everybody and become children. Sometimes you're the mommy, sometimes you're the child. And part of what I write in my book is it's time to grow up. Mm-hmm. And part of growing up is reparenting yourself yep. and un- unenmeshing from these dependent relationships. You can be interdependent but you can no longer be dependent. And all of us have been like waiting for mommy and daddy really to rescue us and to give us the star prize, you know, good child prize. And we got to stop. Yeah. You talk about reparenting and I always say like, it's time to re-raise ourselves because as I've watched in my kind of journey, there have been so many things that I'm like having to go back and try to work on and fix and or, you know, try to delete with EMDR or somatic expression work, whatever the case is. Um, but there's a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff that's kind of running our rides that we have to re-raise and fix and reparent um, that I think is important for people to realize. Um, there was something else that I wanted to touch on with the, the parents. Um, I think it was over here. Hold on one sec. Let me just see. I have notes like crazy in here because there's just so many places to go with this. Um, and and in the reparenting of ourselves, I think it's realizing the baggage that we're carrying into parenthood, right? Like I'm not a parent yet. I may never get to be. We'll see. I just kind of believe that whatever is going to be is going to be. But um talk about as a first time mom with a baby I'm always on the go whether it's running errands getting my coffee going to doctor's appointments or just spending quality time with little Athena and that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything no matter where I am Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery 
you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Oh, that part for people who aren't realizing that the baggage they're bringing in is now hurting their own kids. And how important it is for them to go back and fix that. Yeah. But let me say to you that all of us are parents because we're all raising our own inner children. So you don't have to be a biological mother to be a parent. You are a parent. You know, I said that to Oprah once when she said that a lot of people were giving her some kind of attitude for having me on her show talking about conscious parenting, because what does she know? She's not a parent. And I, I help redefine that a bit because a biological mother does not a parent make, you know, we all have the mothering principle. Mm -hmm. And in fact, so many biological mothers are not maternal and not really mothering because they won't raise themselves. So, and Oprah was a mother to all of us. Right. Right. I was like, you're the Uber mother. She really Um, is. And it was funny when I was reading this, this, I was going through like all my notes this morning to put into my, my papers one of the things that I realized, I was like, I always used to say that I'm a parent, but I am to my, I'm a parent to my parents, right? So my parents were my kids all these years. I always was taking care of them. And, and I really, it kind of just hit me this morning when I was doing my notes. I was like, oh, I have been a parent all these years and maybe I'm tired. Maybe God's going to just give me a reprieve and be like, no, it's not going to happen for you. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> So what you're doing is really stepping back from the form of how it should look like and understanding that the energy has always been in you. You've always been mothering, right? Sometimes they're little babies that come from your womb and sometimes they are your parents that are older. There is no fixed identity of how that should look, except culture puts it on. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, biological seems to be the, the main way to, to do it. You know, I could only have one biological child. And the flack I got for that was enormous, like only one. I, I mean, then I began to apologize. You know, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm talking about parenting. I only have one. I'm like, bloody hell, it's bloody hard to have one. You know, it doesn't matter. It's hard to have zero, hard to have one. It's all hard and it's all the same. At the end of the day, the biggest illusion is that it's you're different because of becoming a mother. And while the mothering journey, of course, alters you, but it's not that you're in any way different because you're better. You're just different because it takes the life out of you. And now you have, you know, wreckage on your stomach and tire tracks everywhere. But uh, it's not this idea that you'll be more happy. And parents get to that, you know, they go, oh, my goodness, who said I was going to be more happy? I thought I would, would, would be more happy because I was raised the superstar child. You know, now I know there's a biological component to it that could be real, um, but the the real task is to find worth, find joy, find fullness without that as well. You know, so if that happens to come, you're not living through it. It's just an addition. Mm-hmm. You know? 
And many parents have child number one, two, three, waiting for Godot, you know, and it never comes. But that's just like the the whole myth behind success in life. Like, I'll be happy when I get this. It's exactly. all the same kind of thing. It's all the stories that are being told to us and fed to us yes. that happiness is something that we'll only get if exactly. this. And then when you become a parent, you're like, I'll only be happy when my kid is happy. Then the kid has to be happy now. You know, it's a never ending set of conditions that we spiral in and we don't realize we are. Mm-hmm. But yes, so so parenting oneself. So how do we to help parents realize that they're putting their baggage on their children? <laughs> Very hard. It's only when the kid is stark raving crazy or stark raving anxious that the parent is willing to accept the possibility that it could be them. Oh my goodness, no one is more defensive than the parent. You know, parents fire me when I say, let's look at you. And they're like, why me? Sam has ADHD. And I'm like, I know, but can we just talk about you? They're like, no, we're going to drop Sam off and go get a Starbucks. And parents are so resistant because it goes against their identity. They're like, damn it. I took a loan. I left my school. I left my job to have this kid. I put on 10 pounds and now you're going to tell me it's me. Mm -mm. So parents have a real strong wall up and it's hard to chip away. That's my job. You know? Yeah. I I know. I had a friend whose baby just kept passing out and they didn't know why. And they're taking it to all these doctors. And I said, she doesn't realize it's her. She has so much anxiety and she's revving like this every day. I'm like, how does the kid not feel that the kid's just passing out? It was like unbelievable to me. But it is like a lack of awareness. Um, And when you talk about identity... Uh, I think that's, that's something that a lot of parents face. Like when the kids go off to college, you hear all the empty nesters and the, you know, the, the identity loss that they feel in those moments. Do you have advice for parents in those moments? Yeah. I just dropped my kid off to college a month ago. Out of state? Yes. Yes. In Miami. Um, so here's the thing you know, if our identity is attached to that and our life revolves around that identity, it's not that we're great mothers, huh? It's just that we like to be the mother and we want the kid to need us. When your kid doesn't need you, like to me, it's the most amazing aphrodisiac. I'm like, what? I'm free? My boss hasn't called me? Like (laughs) I haven't done a bad job today. I'm not being yelled at. I'm free. So I'm reveling in it because I was ready for it. But many of my friends and colleagues and, you know, typically what they're missing is the neediness, is the sense that they are significant in someone's life. You know, your kid goes. I mean, literally, my daughter doesn't call me except when the toilet gets clogged. I'm literally only a function, maybe a wallet and a function, (laughs) maybe some recipes, you know, if I'm if I'm if she'll give me the grace to be creative. But otherwise, no need, like no memory of me. Um, but when I feel peaked, you know, like triggered, I have to say why. And the answer will only be because she doesn't want me. I'm not significant anymore. All these years I slaved for you and now you've just dropped me, right? It's like all this lack victim mentality within us, martyr. That's the emptiness syndrome, right? The emptiness syndrome is, you know, damn it. You've just forgotten all my hard work. And here's what I tell parents. 
you didn't you you didn't become a parent because your kid begged you from wherever you, the kid planet that your kid was on and you did your kid a favor you had that kid because you had the need to have a kid so own it and say thank you to your kid that your kid allowed you to be with it for 18 years and now your kid is like thank you very much goodbye so that's it it's it's got an expiration date but don't pretend like you did all this because your kid wanted you to do it, you know, because be- parents would say, oh, they're so ungrateful. They just dropped me like a hot potato. Mm-hmm. I'm not important anymore. Hello, you had the kid because you wanted the kid, right? Yeah. So well, and they're all probably having conversations with other parents that are in that feeling, right? And so everyone just continues the the the, the cycle. Modern. Yeah. yeah, the mom and you know the how can my kid and then they'll text their kids incessantly. How are you? And my, then then they'll be rejected more, so it keeps the cycle going. And you know, I, I tell I tell parents, imagine you don't have a cell phone, please. You know, please stop tracing your kid around campus. But we parents are insatiable because we have to feel significant. Mm. Yeah, I um, I I felt a little bit of that when my mom passed where I had like a little identity crisis because my identity was now in a sense attached to taking care of her. And now I'm free, which is kind of the dream when you're in it and then you have it and you're like, Oh, uh, there are all these feelings like I'm not needed anymore. And then at some point I was like, okay, no, you're not needed anymore. Like go live now. Like this is like your gift. And I'm like reconnecting with my little poodle. I was just telling Kelsey this morning, I go, I haven't had time to be with her. I was so enmeshed in what I needed to do that I'm having so much joy waking up with her in the morning and, and playing with her. And, um, so basically what I, what I'm confirming is what you're saying. It's like, you have to kind of realize, okay, there was a moment for this. There was, there was a need to be the mom, to be the one that was doing all the things for them. But when they, when they go, like, you got to now go be you. Yes. Yes. You, I mean, you have to be you all through. See, that's the thing. And that's what this book will evoke in women is, am I in touch with who I am? Or am I using my child or my relationship mm-hmm. with my partner to define me? And putting ourselves in the forefront is not an act of selfishness, but an act of saviorship to mm-hmm. other people, like you're letting them be free of you. You know, the more we are in our own power, it's not a bitchy or selfish thing. It's actually as the most selfless thing because you're getting people off your payroll and off your, you know, needing to pedestalize you. So when we when we think we're being givers, we're actually also when we're unconscious givers, tethering that person to our giving, you know, and then they're slaves of it and untethering them. Like, you know, so every time my daughter does happen to need me, I do feel a dopamine hit, you know, like, oh, I'm needed. But I realize I'm trapping her to be crippled to me, you know, and I say, go figure it out, you know. But one time I couldn't resist. She was having a fight with her roommates and I that's I love to be the mediator. I'm like, Maya, so I begged her. I said, can I please come and fix it? And she's like, mom, if you act like this, I will not tell you next time. I'm like, please, I can fix it like this. (laughs) I was like, why don't you do me? And she's like, I'm not you. I don't like to be in the center of attention. I don't want to mediate. I'm like, you're a mediator. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, oh, damn it. So only one time I acted out like grossly. I was begging. I was so pathetic. And she just <laughs> did that. She didn't even entertain me. You know, I'm like, damn, 
how do you know yourself so well? I told her. But um, yeah, so you have to, you do get that hit, that rush, you know, that addiction that, ah, I'm needed. We're addicted to being needed. You know, we women are pathetic. Yes, yes, yes. And you do such a disservice because they can't figure it out themselves. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Do you feel like you, well, this is whatever. Do you feel like you've worked through all of kind of your childhood stuff at this point? Do you think you've like knocked over every, you know, cone, looked underneath and and dealt with everything? Or are you still in process? No, I still have some, I, but I know my boulders, you know, I know the boulders in front of me, but the, the boulders will keep showing up as triggers. Okay. But the pathway to worth becomes shorter and quicker. And each time you touch worth faster, you ignite the flame. So my goal in life is not to not have triggers and be some bodhisattva under a tree, my goal is to have a quicker pathway to abundance and radiance and, you know, power. So it's, you can't be devoid of triggers, you know? Yeah. I mean, you really can't. So that's not even the goal. It's not perfection. And I, I want to be human. I don't mind failing. I don't mind saying sorry. But the pathway to worth is getting shorter as I age. Mm, which you don't look like you've aged when you keep talking about when I was in my mid forties, I'm like, how old is this woman? She doesn't even look like she's 40 yet. What's going on here? (laughs) Um, So, okay. I have one last like personal question and you can tell me if this is not something that you want to talk about, but when you say you divorced from the idea of what that wife was supposed to be, and you kind of now were in your moratorium and you figured yourself out, did you find that you're, were you happy that you divorced yourself from him or did you regret that later? So specific and general, um, you have to, one has to be very careful that when one touches emancipation, one doesn't burn the house down with aggressive gusto where you don't kill everybody. Yeah. So my instinct was to say, fuck you, I'm out. But that would that was my alter attack to the good girl. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a rebellious girl. Yeah, but I think that's such so, an important thing to say to people because when they listen to this, they're going to be like, yeah, let's burn the house yeah. down. Or when they read the book, because I, I feel those feelings. That's why I'm asking because... Sometimes we act in the moment of like discovery and it's a little too early because you haven't let it set in. Uh uh And so I teach people, and I know this, to sit with it, right? Don't be beguiled by the counter reaction because it's still just a reaction. So now I have to sit with it, sit with it. I have t-shirts that say sit with it. Um, So I sat in it for like two years of like really trying to discern, am I just going from good girl to bad girl? You know what I mean? Or is this authentic girl? And it took a long time because I was like, I can't regret this later. I better know what the shit I'm doing, Shefali. Because you will, you know, take everyone for your ride. So you have to be very conscious. So it was torture. And I put him through torture. He put me through torture. And we sat in it and just like, oh, my God, it was two years of like... It's it the the transition is no joke, right? It's it's between the old and the new. You have to go through it. You cannot bypass it. People who go like, oh, burn the house down, and now I'm with the new guy. 
the the shark is coming to bite your ass. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you better just do the work on the front end than to do it in the back end. So take your time with any big change in your life. Do not just bounce, you know, because it'll come back. So do the work. Any big change is an epiphanic realization that you need to slow the F down. That's what the first thing is. Slow down because you've been on a roller coaster to hell and you got to slow that ride. Stop. So first you stop. Then you become still. Then you sit in the stillness, which is torture. Then let consciousness arise and consciousness will guide you. So when people say to me, you know, is it time to stay or is it time to go? I go, the fact that you're asking the question means you're not ready for the answer. Consciousness gets the answer, not your intellect. So stay. I go, oh, stay. Stay till the question is no longer a question. Mm. And that will come from consciousness rising. And before you know it, you'll be on the train to Tibet, you know, and you'll be like, how did I get here? You know, it, let consciousness decide. Your intellect, should I stay? Should I go? Should I make a list? What are the what pros and cons? Do all that, but that just means you're not yet ready. When you're ready, consciousness will just take you through the fire. You, you'll have no choice. I love that. And that's that. why physical... Sickness is so powerful because you have no choice. You just have to go. So when that power comes in your mental state, you just go, right? And that's what you're waiting for without waiting for it. You can't be like, hello, consciousness, are you coming on Monday? No, it'll it'll rise and you have to trust that it'll come when you're ready. So till till you're ready, you're going to go back and forth, which is useful and powerful. Now sit in the torture of the seesaw, you know? I love that because I think it's also applicable to people in their jobs. Like sometimes people like yeah. hear something and like, yeah, let's all quit. And it's like, wait, can you, can you wait and really think this through? And then also maybe think of like what your next steps are to the next one so that you, you know, have yeah. something kind of figured out. I think it's applicable yeah. to everything. Exactly. 100%. It's like that inner knowing just becomes so loud. Yes. That it isn't even a question. Right. So you have to know that when the inner knowing has not yet arrived, that's a knowing too. The knowing that it's not your time, Mm. the knowing that you're confused, the knowing that you're in two places, that's knowing too. And now we're going to wait for the knowing that is strong and centered and aligned. Let's wait for that knowing. So you have to know yourself so well, right? So you have to know, oh, I'm not yet in that knowing. I'm in this knowing. This is powerful and useful. It'll get me there. So there's no bypassing the, the steps, you know? Mm-hmm. I have one last thing I forgot to ask that I really, really was curious about from you. So um, it was part of my awakening when I was realizing that I was wearing workaholism as a badge of honor and all of this stuff. And I kept thinking about the book from Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In. And I just kept hearing, lean the fuck out. We are leaning so fucking in that we're dying. And I'm just curious about what your perspective is on it, because I know I'm not influencing you by saying that. So I was able to say it. Other people, I wouldn't be able to say that to, like yes, give my opinion so first, but I'm curious. Something I don't tell other women either, so we can both go down together. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> this, this whole adage, you know, uh, you can do it all. You know, women can do it all. No, we fucking can't. Okay, no. If you just give birth, we can't go on a diet and we can't go to the gym. So don't even try. And if you, you know, just had a heart broken, you can't be the best in your company. So just 
check out, chill out. You know, this idea that we can do it all is lovely, but it's become our, you know, stick that we're we're dancing to, and that's become our oppressor. No, we can only do what we can do. And so just do whatever you can do and let the other stuff go. You know, my entire PhD, seven years, I was overweight. I was like, I can, I have to eat pizza to keep my eyes open. And I was breastfeeding and I had a baby. I'm like, how much more can I do? But the voice was like, you should also take care of your health and go to the gym. I couldn't, I like literally couldn't. I needed a timeout where something had to give, you know, something has to give. And how about that be the mantra? Something has to give. Mm -hmm. What is it going to be today? You know, instead of you can do it all, right? So every day we're like going to the grind, you know? How much? You know, we women already are conditioned that way. Now we need to do do the reverse. Like, okay, now what can you not do today? Yeah. What have you not done today? (laughs) You know? Yeah, I know. I literally wanted to write the book, Lean the Fuck Out, because that's how I felt whenever I thought of that. And I understand like the nuance where she was saying like, you know, we should be powerful women and we should be able to like ask for the raise. And there is so much good in there too. But at the other side of it, it felt like it was reinforcing kind of that, that programming for us to be everything. And when I know the worst problem we kind of suffer from is we're everything to everyone and nothing to ourselves. And on top of it, we're not telling men to do it all. When have you ever asked a man, how do you juggle it all? Right, right. Never, 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 never. And never. These, women, these working moms at home with COVID children, you know, children being homeschooled, I, t- I beg them, I go, can you please fail at homeschooling at least? Like, why is homeschooling becoming your biggest project? Your poor kids, let them get a C grade this entire year. Like, what something has to give, we're in a freaking pandemic. So mothers are trying to, you know, be the best teachers now and be the best gym coaches. I go, you... You know, when my daughter was in 11th grade during COVID and the gym teacher was telling her she's going to fail, I was like, really? Like, we have to go to like gym now? I have to like tell you to get up and go and do some sit-ups? Like something has to give, you know? And the education system during COVID was unrelenting and teachers were burning out because they were still being asked to maintain the same standards and the parents were burning out. So, you know, we have to learn at some points in our life big transition moments, drop a couple things off your agenda. You can't do it all, you know, look like a slob, be a slob, eat like a slob and just stay alive. Sometimes that's the Holy grail. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I keep trying to show everybody is that. So that mom who's trying to be now the perfect homeschooler, the perfect gym teacher and all that, who's suffering in the equation, the mom, the mom who's supposed to stay like healthy for her kids in a sense is letting herself slowly die and get sick, like, cause eventually it's going to accumulate, right? I talk about the accumulation factor. Like you can only do so much before it starts impacting yourself inside mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then you're not going to be able to be the perfect mom. <laughs> like exactly. you can't yeah, do right all mom. of that. Yeah. So, yeah. um, all right. Well, I'm I'm glad that I got to remember to ask that because that was something that was gnawing at me this morning. I'm gonna look out for that book. Oh, you've never read it? No, your book. No, your oh. book. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, what? Uh yeah, I know. Well, Dr. Shafali, I am so grateful that you took all this time with us this morning. I'm so, so thankful. Um, the book is called A Radical Awakening: Turn Pain into Power, Embrace Your Truth, 
Live Free. Um, thank you so much for um, the book, for the chat, and all of the incredible insight. Thank you, my love. And we will meet soon. Yes, Thank you for please. all the wonderful work you do. Thank you to everyone who listened in. I would love that. I will see you in New York at some point for sure. Amazing. Oh, all right. Wow. I was taking notes feverishly in here. It's like when there's an interview like this, I feel like I kind of get lost because there's so much I want to get into. I know. And I have notes and pages marked and I'm like... Well, there was so much. Also, excuse my parents, everyone. It is freezing in the booth <laughs> and I'm still unwell, but that's okay. There's like, she had so much in there. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I like, I thought you did a great job though, because what else? I mean, did I cover gonna, everything you would want to know? I had one. For now. I had it for now. <laughs> Cause we'll get her again. Hopefully. Yeah. I want to get her again for relationships mm-hmm. to talk about how like, you bringing baggage into relationships. She has this whole part about how it's like, you kind of have to go in as a whole, right? Like she talks about a lot of women say to her, they feel like they lose themselves in their relationships. And she's like, well, that's because you aren't like, you're already lost. So anyways, I want to have her back to kind of talk about that. And, um, but I mean, that would have been a whole nother, a whole nother episode. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so much, but there's uh there's that through line like I said to her that I keep kind of shining a light on and that is we really have to go back into our childhoods yeah and see what's running our ride today if you don't think that that's happening trust me it is right and as she was describing people I was just thinking about like raising kids and oh my god where where would I raise them where they're not going to be kind of susceptible to all those kind of perfect standards, right? And and to be able to truly be free. And am I ready to be able to do that and provide that kind of atmosphere? Because I'm still working through all my baggage. Now, if we all waited till we were perfect, nobody would have kids. And so that's definitely something my dad always used to accuse me of. Maria. You keep waiting, you keep waiting, you keep waiting. When, when, when are you going to be ready? And so, uh, no, but that's, I think that's an interesting question. Cause that was like, kind of, I guess my question with the relationship stuff too, that I wanted to get into. It's like, okay, but if we wait until we feel like we're fully, fully whole, fully perfect, like what if it's too late, mm-hmm. you know? So there is that, there is that fear. But she would say too late for who? Who said? Good point. Who, who said, said? Who said? That was really friggin' powerful. Yeah, that was amazing. Who said? Who said? And I also was obsessed with, um, let's see, that we can't do it all. Something has to give. Yeah. We cannot do it all. Yeah. Like I think that's one of our social posts coming up. It's like something's <laughs> yeah. got to give. Yeah. And I just had such a strong feeling about that. I was like, I have a feeling she's going to yeah. be on a similar page because... Um, it's not that the book wasn't great for so many reasons. There were great things. Yeah. Um, but there's that side, I think, that just is just pushing us deeper into some of the not as great things. Mm-hmm. And um, man, so much to unpack. So much. I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading through this. I, I wrote in here, <laughs> earlobes? Yeah. People oh, are no, that's a thing now. Uh, oh, no, there's a certain what? actress that I've been hearing about where people are watching her in this stuff and they're Stop. like, 
what, why hasn't she done anything to her earlobes? No this is awful. Way. And I'm like, I would have never noticed. And all these people are pointing it out now. And I'm like, oh, I, people notice that stuff now. That's insane. I know Chris Jenner got her earlobes done. And I watched that episode of the Kardashians and I was like, I'm sorry, what's wrong with your earlobes? Yeah. That's crazy. I literally had no idea. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Anyways, that was one of my things. Our greatest default is to only grow through pain. Ooh, it's a th- I have to go through all these. Mm-hmm. Wow. Soul give without emotion. needing to give. Yeah. I liked that a lot too. Yeah. I really think that we have to be okay with not everybody liking us. <sighs> yeah. Not having to be everything to everyone. It really is um it's kind of our life's work i think as women i agree so here's to to committing (laughs) here's to committing together to working on that yeah um i was thinking like um after like our patreon healing sessions we should all like decide on one thing we're going to commit to applying Mm, i love that yeah i think uh there's a lot of deprogramming we have to do so at least start to see that this potentially could be riding your running your ride and uh and slowly killing you. Yeah. And you don't even know it. And you don't even know it. I do so. think too, I wanted to note because I read it in my notes. Um, I thought it was important earlier when you asked about, you know, going through this with a therapist. Like mm-hmm. I think that that's really important because sometimes, I mean, like I know I'll try and even meditation. Like you try and go through like a guided meditation. No, it's like, no, you need like you need someone to kind of like walk you through not meditation. I'm talking like um, the somatic stuff Mm -hmm. you need. It's you got to have a therapist doing that. So I thought that that was an important thing to know when you brought that up. Well, I think it's hard to see unless you have a trained professional who only sees, right? Like there was moments in my sessions with Brian where he picked up on things I said that to me are just like, I've said it a million times. And he goes, but do you see what that, Yeah. what's behind that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. And so when you have a trained professional who's great at what they do, they can help accelerate your healing because they see stuff faster. Right. Um, you can and- also re-traumatize yourself, right? Well, with the somatic stuff and the EMDR yeah. stuff, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, but I just want to say that. Yeah, it's important to have somebody mm-hmm. who's trained. All right, guys. In the meantime, be nice people, make good choices, and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or MariaMenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show 
or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heel Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heel events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heel Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you.